0: Open your Bible with, you, with me this morning to the book of John chapter 10. You probably guessed that by now. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus is speaking and he said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and that they may have it, say it with me, more (laughs) abundantly, more abundantly. You spend some time studying out these words and you really get a picture of what Jesus said his whole purpose in coming was and what it was all about. This this life more abundantly, it has to do, when you look it up, it, it, it deals with beyond. It deals with the word excessive, too much. And you can almost just in that alone begin to see why there's been such a spirit of opposition. Really, it's just a religious spirit that fights that concept and idea of too much. Religion's always been about trying to give everybody a little. But that was never the intent behind Jesus coming for you and for me. He said, I came that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. The Amplified Bible says to the full until it overflows, overflows just too much, too much. It's a concept that a lot of people aren't very comfortable with, but I would say get comfortable. I would say change that attitude, change that mentality, but like you've heard us say before, what we need to understand is that the problem is not excess. The problem has been not knowing what to do with it. Not knowing what the excess is for. And when Jesus said he came that, that you and I would have life and have it more abundantly, he could have said anything there. I came that you'd have peace and have it more abundantly. I came that you'd have healing and have it more abundantly. But he, instead of using a specific word like that, he used a word that covered everything. I came that you'd have life and have so much life that you are full of that life and you overflow with that life. And then the purpose behind the excess and the overflow is that you find somebody to give it to. You find somebody to give what you've got. Somebody to give what you've got. You see that in the book of Acts when Peter and John were walking up to the temple and there was a man that had been laid there. He's a 40-year-old man and he was laid there every single day because he was lame and he laid there to beg alms from the people that were going in. And he looked at Peter and John and he begged from them and Peter said to him, silver and gold have I none. You ever left your wallet at home? (laughs) But what I do have, he said, What I do have, I'm going to give to you. Now that's Acts chapter 3. You Bible scholars tell me as of Acts chapter 2, what is it Peter's got? The Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God on him, in him, working through him, overflowing out of him. And that's what he's saying. What I do have, what I've got an overflow of, what I've got excess. I got too much Holy Ghost just for me. Let me give you some. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. But I like the next part. It says he grabbed him by the hand. This was not optional. This was not, do you feel like getting up? What do you think? Can you raise your hand if you can sense a difference? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he picked him up. And it says immediately. His feet and ankle bones received strength, and he went walking and leaping and praising God. He got some of the excess, some of the overflow of the life that Peter and John had in them. That's what the excess is for. That's what the overflow is all about. The New Living Translation of John 10:10, 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief's purpose <clears throat> is to steal and kill and destroy. That just simply means take away. The thief comes into our lives to take, <clears throat> excuse me. But Jesus said, I might need that water, sir." My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Remember, we talked about that several weeks ago. Thank you. That Jesus' purpose in coming was to give you and I a rich and satisfying life. And you can tell just by the quietness that fills the room that people are like, am I allowed To say amen to that, I mean, rich and satisfying. We've been taught for generations and years that these are bad words, that R-I-C-H is a four-letter word. But Jesus said this was his purpose. And like you've heard us say over and over, we've got to go to work and let the word of God renew our minds and redefine what it actually means to be rich. It's so much bigger than we've known. It's so much deeper. It's so much wider than we've known. And I used to do this quite a bit. As we would travel, I'd stand in front of a crowd like this and I'd say, a prosperous person is somebody who's got a lot of, and it's like they'd all rehearsed it together. Money, they'd say. Because that's what's on people's mind. That to them is the definition of prosperity. And I'd look at them and I'd say, that's interesting. Why didn't you say peace? Why didn't you say wisdom? Because these are just a couple of the things that the the word of God tells us are actually worth more than gold. See, we got to redefine what it means to be rich. Thank you, Lord. And that's what Jesus is helping us do and see here that to recognize his purpose was for you and I to have a rich and satisfying life that we'd have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to go to the book of John well, you're in, John. <clears throat> back up just a couple of chapters to chapter six. I'm going to tell you something. The word is working in me this morning. I had, I had an interesting week. Uh, Thursday of this week, I had to go down to Texas. Once a month, I still go back to Texas and I do some work for my grandparents and their ministry at Kenneth Copeland Ministries, do some television taping and so on. And they've changed the flight schedule out of Colorado Springs. So I had to get on the early one because they took away the later one coming home. So Thursday I was up at four o'clock in the morning, out the door before five, on the plane at six, on the ground in Dallas by nine, in the studio by 11, did TV taping for four hours, back in the car to the airport by five, back in the plane, back here, get home by eight o'clock or so that night. And uh, I woke up Friday feeling it. And uh, I don't know what possessed me to, to, to think, oh, I should do a hard workout this morning. Maybe harder than I have in months. And uh, so just Thursday, Friday, kind of got uh, tired a little bit, worn out. But Saturday morning, yesterday morning, I just got up and just spent two hours with Jesus in the Word. And I woke up with a lot of pressure in my head and pain swallowing and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you just a little bit of time. I started in the book of Exodus with, I am the Lord that healeth thee," And I just sat there. You're the Lord that heals me. You're the Lord that heals me. You, you, you are the Lord that heals me. You are the Lord that heals me. You are the Lord that heals me. That heals me. What am I doing? Just meditating the word, meditating the word and just went through scriptures. And I'm telling you just a not just a couple hours later, all that pain, that pressure was gone. And the rest of this stuff is on its way out too. So thank you, Lord. Be in agreement with me today. In John chapter 6, we looked at this, I think it's been a couple of weeks ago, but you remember, John chapter 6 is an amazing chapter to me. It's a long chapter and it needs to be because of everything that goes on in it. Jesus goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. It starts with him feeding Thousands and thousands of people and then it goes to that the that group of thousands that great multitude tracking him down and by the end of the chapter All those thousands of people that were tracking him down and wanting to find him and wanting to hear him Had turned their backs and walked away and the Bible says walked with him no more in one chapter This was a major day in the life and the ministry of Jesus. He went from being very popular, very sought after to thousands of people abandoning him. That was a big day. But one of the things that they really got hung up on, excuse me, was what Jesus said when he began to talk to them about the bread that came from heaven. Remember, we talked about this. He, he fed them and then overnight he goes away and they track him down the next day and they said, where'd you go? And he said, you're not looking for me. You're looking for another free meal. You're looking for the sign. You're looking for the wonder. And then they began to question him. Okay, well, do that thing again. you know, where you feed everybody. <laughs> and he said, you need to be careful that you're not seeking a sign. And then they said, okay, well, teach us how to do the works of God. In other words, if you're not going to do it, show us how to. They, They think of him as a magician. Show us your trick. How'd you do that thing with the bread? How'd you do that thing with the fish? Teach us to do it. And Jesus said, your work is to believe. That's not what they wanted to hear. He said, your work is to believe. And they said, okay, well, how about you do a sign so that we might believe? These people think they're subtle they're anything but subtle. Why don't you do a sign? Then we'll believe. They didn't even let him respond. They said, you know, Moses uh, gave our fathers bread from heaven. So maybe you could do that. What are they looking for? More food, more food. And Jesus began talking to them saying that was not bread from heaven. I am bread from heaven. And it really ruffled some feathers And by the time he got into all of it, he was explaining to them, you have to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood. And they thought, this is weird. This is a hard saying. Who can understand this? And they turned and they walked away. But the reason they didn't understand it, you see it here in verse 63, where Jesus said, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The spirit gives life. I think other translations say the spirit quickens. He said the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, everybody say the words. Words. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. I came that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. Well, like we said a week or two ago, everybody Jesus said that to was alive Every one of them had a beating heart in their chest. So what he's saying is there's more to it. There's got to be more to this life than just a pulse. There's got to be more to this life than just waking up and going to bed and doing the same thing day in, day out. There's more life available to you. And Jesus is telling us, I'm the way to that life. Unless and until you come get it from me, you will never have it. The the thief will take anything and everything you've got. And the only way to have and enjoy this excess and overflow of life is to know where to go get it. And that should be the first question on your mind. When Jesus says, I came that you'd have life, have it more abundantly. Your next question should be, okay, where do I get it? How do I get a hold of it? Because I recognize what I'm living is not all there is. I recognize what I'm experiencing is not all there is. There's got to be more to this. So you know coming to him, but Jesus helps us see here in John chapter six that it's not just in coming to him, it's specifically in what he says. He said, my words are spirit and my words are life. Life. I wanna take this week and next As we talk about life more abundantly, I want to focus in on the Word of God, specifically the Word of God. If there's one thing that Sarah and I desire for you to pick up from your time at Legacy Church, if there's one thing we want you to see above all else and to develop above anything else, it's a love for the Word of God. A love for God as he's revealed himself in his word. And some might say, well, don't you think loving Jesus is important? Yes, that's what I said. <laughs> but don't you think loving God is, is, is important? Uh-huh, that's what I'm talking about. A love for his word. And the recognition that his word is and and carries with it the most supreme authority, that that there is an integrity to the Word of God, an infallibility to the Word of God. We want, as a result of your time in this church, for you to develop this first response, this first reaction, that no matter what it is you face and go through, there's a confidence that rises up in you that says, okay, the Word has something to say about this. The word of God sets the standard for my response. The word of God sets the standard for the way I live, for the way I talk, for the way I believe. The word is my answer. The word has my answer. And it's this constant running to the word of God because you believe it is life. It's life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. In 1 John chapter 1, he wrote and said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. John, perhaps more than any of the other apostles, more than any of the other disciples, got such a revelation of Jesus as the word He began to understand that the word was not a thing. The word was and is a person. He understood that. It's interesting to me that from the best that I can tell, there are three three books in the Bible that all start with in the beginning. You remember the first one, don't you? Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, it was void, darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God hovered upon the face of the waters and God did what? He said something. See, the Spirit of God was just hovering there, waiting, waiting for what? The Word. The Spirit doesn't move without the Word. The Spirit waits on the Word. Give me that Word. Give me that Word, I'm ready to go. You, you say the Word and we'll do something. The spirit of God waiting on the word of God and God said light be and light was and everything you and I see in this creation is the result of faith filled words. I think since moving here in the last couple of years, I have been more taken aback with creation than I've ever been in my entire life. In Texas, there was nothing to look at. And if you ask a good Texan, they're proud of that. We got a hundred miles visibility. Yeah, because there's nothing in the way. You take a Texan and you put him in Colorado and he says, I can't see anything. I got all these mountains in front of me. You take a Colorado and, and put him in Texas and says, there's nothing to look at. But the Bible tells us that God is clearly seen in creation. And this, this house we found and moved into a year and a half ago where we're out away just a little bit on a little bit of land and we don't have a lot of light around us. And there are so many stars up there. I don't know if y'all knew this or not. There's a lot of stars. <laughs> Texas doesn't have as many stars. Well, I should say Dallas Fort Worth doesn't. We've got some places in Texas where you can see about all of them, but I've just stood out there and looked. And I downloaded this app to my phone that you hold it up to the sky and it it overlays the galaxy on it. And you can point and, and click on a star and it'll tell you about it. And for weeks on end, I just go out and I look. I'm like, there's Jupiter. There's Saturn. It's just been astounding to me. And it's not just some hobby. To me, I'm looking up into it and seeing you talk about abundance. You talk about God himself being revealed. He chose to do it that way. Let me reveal myself to you in creation. And then I'm going to put some stuff so far out there that your brain doesn't even wrap around it. The brightest star in our sky besides the sun is called Sirius. And you know what? It's nine light years from us. Nine light years. You know what that is? It's traveling at the speed of light. 186,000 miles per second and going that fast, 186,000 miles, not an hour, a second. It would still take you nine years to get there. And there it is. And I just look at it and I don't even know what to think about it other than God, you're awesome. God, you're amazing. You're abundance. I guess he could have just put us here. But where's the fun in that? Huh? And I believe that creation and the vastness of it and the bigness of it, some people look at it and they get the, the, the sense they get is how small and insignificant we are. But it really should be just the opposite. When you think about how much is out there and yet all of that revolves around his love for you. That ought to reveal to you not how insignificant you are, but how precious and how valuable you are in the sight of God. Now, I said all that to say this what put Sirius there? What put these constellations and these planets, the billions upon billions upon billions of stars, what put those there? Words did it. Words did it. That's his method of creation. It's his method of sustaining. It's his method of giving life. It's his method of bringing uh, life back to the dead and bringing from death to life. It all goes back to his words. His words are spirit and they are life. And there's there's the reason right there all those people walked away from him when he started talking about eat my flesh and drink my blood. The problem was they couldn't hear it through spiritual ears. All they could hear through were natural ears and it made no sense to the natural mind. But through spiritual eyes and spiritual ears, you learn to put a value, a supreme value upon the word of God. So that's what I want to do this week and over on into next week. And specifically what I want to get to next week, I feel like I'm doing all these advertisements (laughs) for next week. But you cannot, Talk about life more abundantly without talking about the healing power of God. These things are inseparable. So next week we're going to spend some solid time talking about God's will to heal and the power that is in his word that is present to heal the physical body. So, and I, I believe I'm directed to the Lord to tell you that today because you got seven days to stir faith to let faith grow in your heart. Because when we come together next week, we're going to open this place up and give access to the healing power of God. That's in his word. And the heartbeat of this church is to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all generations. In other words, whatever gets him glory, that's what we want going on. So if people being healed brings glory to God, Amen. so be it. Amen. That's what we'll have. Yeah. Jesus said, my words are spirit, they are life. First John chapter one, he said, uh, it was the word of life. John chapter one, I told you there were three books that I could tell that started with in the beginning. Genesis chapter one, and all that was about the word. 1 John chapter, word, uh, chapter one, that which was from the beginning, we heard, it was the word of life. And John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, Was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God. See, John had a revelation that Jesus was and is the word. All things were made through him. Who him? The word. He's talking about Jesus, but he just said it in the verses before. In the beginning was the Word. All things were made through him. So when you see this pronoun, him, he, whatever, I want you to put the Word in there. All things were made through the Word. And without the Word, nothing was made that was made. In the Word was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14, he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. What is it that's full of grace and truth? The word. Who is it that's full of grace and truth? Jesus, the word made flesh. That's what's in the word. The word of God is full, full of grace and truth. And these verses here in this same passage, John talked about how we all received of the word. We all received, we beheld it, we saw it, we handled it, and we received out of that overflow of the grace. We received grace upon grace upon grace. All of that came out of the word. And it's still coming out of the word. Go to the book of First Peter with me. First Peter chapter one. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. First Peter one twenty-two says, Since you have purified your souls in obedience, or excuse me, in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23, having been born again, notice this now, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The word of God is what you and I are and were born again by. This is the source of our salvation, his word. He said, we were born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed. That means an ever living seed, an undying seed, a seed that cannot die. And he calls the word a seed. And it doesn't take a lot of study to go through the scriptures, Old Testament and New, to see that God was big on the seed. The seed's a big deal to him. It was what he used to start life and to demonstrate life and to show to us now, long since the day of creation, how he intends life to work, both spiritually and naturally. And the seed in the natural is nothing but a perfect picture of what goes on in the spiritual realm. And a seed is a pretty miraculous thing when you stop and think about it. A seed, it's so small, and yet it contains everything that it will become. It's a miracle. A seed is an absolute miracle. A small seed, you think about some of those big redwood trees up in Northern California. You realize some of those things grow to be 200, 300 feet tall, 90 feet around. Do you realize that entire tree, all 300 feet of it, existed in a seed? That's a miracle to me. It's an absolute miracle. And you see that same thing demonstrated not just in plant life, but in human life. You and I were a seed. And everything we are now and everything we've become, right? Five feet, six feet, ten fingers and ten toes and eyes that see and ears and a nose and all these organs and bones and muscles. All of that was in a seed. And it's a miracle. And that's what God said is a picture of his word. His word is a seed. And in that seed contains everything you need. All that you need is in the seed. Have you ever heard that old, old expression? I feel the need, the need for speed. Well, I feel a need for this seed. That's what we're going to talk about for a couple of minutes here. The need for seed. You have an inborn need and a desire And and, and a craving that can only be met by what's in the seed of the word of God. And we've seen it already in scripture as we've studied for the last several weeks. That rich young ruler who came running to Jesus. Here's a guy who's got stuff. He's got wealth. He's got means. He's got money. And yet there's a dissatisfaction on the inside. He comes running to Jesus, kneels before him and says, what do I have to do to get life? I want some life. It's the recognition there's no life in the stuff. There's no life in the the material things. There's no life. I thought there'd be life in it. I got all I, I wanted and yet there's no life in it. He's searching for life. And Jesus is saying, my words are life. Well, if his words are life and his word is a seed, then that seed has to have life in it. Not only, not only What life can, what, how do I say it, Lord? Not just what life is, but all that it can be is in that seed. Where do we get the life? Well, we got to go to the word, the incorruptible seed of the word of God. He goes on in verse 24, he says, because all flesh is grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withers and its flower fails or falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. That's an amazing thought in itself. The word of the Lord endures forever. We don't have any kind of concept of anything in this natural world that has the ability of enduring forever. We buy tickets and line up to walk around stuff that's been here a long time, but none of it can abide forever. We 're fascinated by things that were built 500 years ago, built a thousand years ago. We don't have a lot of that here in this country. we're a couple of hundred years old. but you go to Europe, you go to Africa, Asia, different places, and there's stuff that is a thousand years old. And people marvel at it, and they marvel that, man, wars were fought around this, and, and there was destruction laid waste to everything around this, and, and yet when the dust settled, there it stood, and it still stands. And We marvel at stuff that has lasted a long time, but nothing in this world, nothing on this earth can or will last forever. It's all going to burn. The only thing that endures forever is the word of God. This undying, incorruptible, infallible, inerrant seed of the word of God. And it will abide and live forever. And he said, this is the gospel that's been preached to you. The word of God. It's what we're born again by. And everything you need is in the seed. Your salvation was in the seed. The spirit of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit. You know want to know where that was? It was in the seed. In the seed of the word. The healing of your body. It's in that seed. The provision of your life for everything you need, all that you desire, it's in that seed. The future and the hope that God promised to give you, it's all in the seed. But what has to happen for the seed and what's in it to show up? For the seed to produce something, you know what's gotta happen, right? It has to get planted. It's gotta get planted. So let's talk about that for just a few minutes. Go to the book of Matthew with me, chapter 13 your salvation, your healing, your deliverance, your restoration, your recovery. Everything you need is in the seed. Anybody else feel the need for this seed this morning? That's a big thing. We're kind of laughing about it, but the recognition that you need and desire the word of God for what it is, you recognize there's life in it. And in the book of Matthew chapter 13, I have come to really love this chapter. So much truth, so much revelation in it. But let's just begin in verse one. Matthew 13, verse one says on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. On a side note, if anybody's looking for a good scripture to build vacation on, that's your scripture. If Jesus can find a piece of property where you can go out of the house and sit by the sea, he can lead you to the same kind of place. I have stood on that scripture more than once. (laughs) On the same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered to him. Now I'm not believing for that on vacation, but anyway, moving on. Great multitudes were gathered to him So that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. He spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed. As he sowed, some seed, everybody say some seed, some seed seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Now, every time he used the word some here, you look this up in some of the original language and in other translations, you see this bared out. It's some of the same kind of seed. And that's important. It's important to recognize the sower who's sowing here is not scattering a bunch of different kind of seed. It's all the same seed. And he said, he said some seed fell on the wayside, some seed fell on stony ground, some seed fell among thorns. Now so far this seed has been planted three times and it has yet to produce anything. And if you don't understand that the context of the ground makes a difference, that it matters what kind of ground it gets sown on, if you don't understand any of that, then your first thought might be, there's something wrong with this seed. I mean, it's been sown three times. It's not producing anything. You might be tempted to think that this seed is fallible, that there's something inherently wrong with the seed. But Jesus said... In verse 8, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So what you know is the, the moment this seed produces something, you, now you know nothing wrong with this seed. He said in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? You can almost hear the frustration in their voice. Jesus, these people came to hear you preach. I'm sure they appreciate the agricultural observations and advice that you might have to give, but they wanted to hear some some word. Are they hearing word? Not only are they hearing word, they are hearing word from the word. And he answered and said to them in verse 11, Because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is a big part of it right here. They see, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't hear. They don't understand. In them, verse 14, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Listen, their their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Why don't they see? Because they closed their eyes. Their ears have become hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears, or excuse me, see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So your healing evidently is connected to what you see. Your healing's connected to how you hear and to how you understand. He said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and didn't see it and to hear what you hear and didn't hear it. What's he talking about? What's all this seeing and all this hearing and they see and these others don't? What is it that this group right around Jesus saw that other people failed to see? Him. Him. Him for who he is. Now, everybody out there that day saw him, but very few saw him. You see what I'm saying? Everybody out there that day heard a preacher say some words, but very few people heard the word declare the word. That's a big difference. I mean, how can people look at the same thing and see two totally different things. It's happening every day. It's happening all the time. When I was a kid, they came out with these posters, you might remember them, that just looked at first glance, like just shapes and kind of geometric designs. But they said, if you would stand there and look at it long enough and kind of lose focus, that there would be an image within the image that would come out. Does anybody remember these things? And I remember, I'd never actually owned one, but I remember going through the stores with my parents and there'd be a rack of these things and you could flip through them and just stand there. And I just remember (laughs) standing there because they said there's a spaceship in here and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm trying to see it, right? And then all of a sudden some kid walks by and goes, huh, spaceship. (laughs) And you're going, where, how did you, how'd you see that? Well, you're both looking at the same thing, right? But one person sees something and somebody else doesn't. And this is happening in the spirit all the time. And this is why you can open this thing and administer life to you. And somebody else who doesn't have eyes that see or ears that hear, they look at it and it's nothing but an old book, nothing but an old way of thinking. No life in it to him. It takes seeing what others don't. The recognition that it's not just a book, it is the Word. And in this Word is life. He's talking about seeing Him. But not just seeing Him, but seeing Him as the Word. And He goes on to explain that in verse, verse 18. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. I thought they all just heard it. I thought everybody just heard it. No, they heard it, but they didn't hear it. Can you see the difference? I wish I knew a better way to explain it. They all heard it. They all saw it, but none of them heard it or saw it. He said, now you hear it. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, Mark's account of this said the sower sows the word. So there's the revelation of what the seed was that Jesus was talking about when he said some seed fell, among, fell on the wayside, some seed fell on stony ground, some seed fell among thorns. Every time he talked about that seed, he was talking about the word. And we know that already from 1 Peter chapter one, you're born again by this incorruptible seed of the word. So the sower sows the word. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Now he's explaining to them what he already told them. He said the the word, the seed got planted on all these types of ground. And you go back and remember what we talked about a second ago. It got planted four times. But how many times did it work? Once. Once, that means 75% of the time, this incorruptible, infallible word of God failed to produce. Now, see, I grew up in a house as a kid where we put a premium on the word of God. And in our house, it was the Word night, noon, and day. And if we had a problem, we went to the Word. If we had a need, we went to the Word. And it got to the place as a kid, you got tired of hearing it, honestly. (laughs) Mommy, I need. Daddy, I want. What's the Word say, Jeremy? What's the Word say? What's the Word say? That was the answer for everything. (laughs) What's the Word say? What's the Word say? But now, as a full-grown man with a family of my own, I am eternally thankful to have grown up in a house where we put this kind of premium on the Word of God. We went to the Word for everything. And there was this underlying belief and, and, and more than just an opinion, man. We rooted our whole lives in this. The Word can fix it. The Word can heal it. The Word can provide it. So when I go to the words of Jesus and I find out this thing got sown four times, And only worked once? That raises a red flag for this word kid. And there are many people that would read that and go, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And that's a lie. Jesus is helping you and I right now find out why if the word's not working in your life like the way you've been told it could, like the way you thought it would, here's why. Here's why. And he begins to go through these different kinds of ground. You already know this, nothing wrong with this seed. Because you know, fast forward, it got planted and worked. So it's not the seed's fault. Nothing wrong with this seed. It matters what kind of ground it's sown in. And he begins to identify these different kinds of ground. Well, these different grounds are people. These different grounds are hearts. Hearts. And he said that wayside ground, what you got to understand about that was that was hard packed ground. That was their equivalent of concrete. That was the path that people and animals would tread. And it became so hard and packed that when that seed fell on it, it'd be like throwing seed on this concrete platform. That's not it's not penetrating anything. It's not getting in. And Jesus said, the birds came and devoured it. He said, the one who received the seed on the wayside ground is somebody who hears the word and doesn't understand it. He said, immediately, the wicked one comes to steal it, snatches away the word that was sown. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan comes immediately to steal the word. And we know that we've heard it, But there's good news in this. The only way Satan can steal the word of God from you, the only way he can take that seed and in in taking it, thus take the result away from you, the power to produce, he can take that away from you only one way. If you hear it and don't understand it. But that word understanding doesn't just mean you, you mentally grasp it. Study this out and you're going to find that it means that you grasp not just the meaning of it, you grasp the nature of it. You grasp the value of it. I like this one. It means you grasp the origin of it. To understand something is to to grasp all of that, the meaning and the nature and the value and the origin of it. that helps you understand the word. And even if you hear something from the word, like eat my flesh and drink my blood. And like those people were like, I don't get it. I don't like it. I'm out of here. If you just simply understood where this word was from, if you just simply understood what this word contained, and even if your head didn't get it, you know, there's spirit in it, you know, there's life in it and you understood the value of it. When you value it, when you honor it, it protects it. But without a value for it, without an honor for the word of God, it's like somebody standing there and throwing seed at your forehead. That's not getting in. It's bouncing off. You sit there, you hear somebody preach, and all you can think of is, really? We've been in here an hour and a half? When is this kid going to shut up? What's that word doing for you? Not a thing. Not a thing. There's got to be a value for it. When Jesus, the word, showed up in his own hometown, the Bible says there he could do no mighty work. And he he identified the reason. A prophet's not without honor, except in his own hometown. He didn't say he wouldn't do it. Didn't say he was, I'm going to show you. No, he said he couldn't. Tied the hands of God. Because there was a hardness. It was like that hard packed ground. They didn't understand the origin of it, where it was coming from. If all you understood was that this was the word of the living God, that the creator of heaven and earth breathed these words, and if that's all you understood, you would put a value on it, and that value and that honor would protect that word. Understanding the origin of something is powerful, right? I mean, it changes the way you approach it. I tell people all the time, if you don't have a rich grandfather, you got to get one because they are awesome. They're awesome. Take it from me. And when mine calls and says, hey, Jeremy, meet me at the house. I got something for you. I don't got to know what it is. I am already on my way. And I might break a few speed limit laws in getting there because I know where it's coming from. Right? I don't got to know what the gift is. All I got to know is Papa calls. I know where it's coming from. And it does something about your enthusiasm, your excitement to receive it. Right? If all you understood was this is the word of the living God, there's life in it. There'd be an excitement. That's what it means to understand it. That's what it means to grasp and to value and to honor it. You want to know why the word may not be working in your life? Check up on your value for it. Check up on how much you honor it. It'll work in the lives of somebody who will honor it. How do you honor the word of God? You give him first word. You face something, you deal with something, you get a bad diagnosis, you run into a hard thing, you give him first word. Then you give him last word. That's what it means to elevate and to honor his word. But far too many people, When they get a a, a bad or an evil diagnosis and the Lord deals with somebody in their church family, I want you to go tell them. You go tell them that I said in my word, by the stripes of my son Jesus, they are healed. And the Lord deals with somebody to go tell you that. And they come and they say, I just got this strong in my heart that the Lord wanted me to tell you by his stripes. And you go, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm healed. I know. I've heard it. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, I know. By stripes, I'm healed. But the doctor said that I've got this thing. And if I don't. OK, now, wait a second. You've got the word of God on a level with somebody else's word. And these things don't belong on the same level. This is I, I'm not telling you that you pretend like he or she didn't say something to you. What I am saying is honor for the word will elevate his word. I heard that. I I see that. Okay, thank you. But he said. He said. That's the person the word can work for. Somebody who understands the value of the word. Jesus went on to say that the seed got sown on stony ground. Now, again, this kind of ground is not ground with a bunch of rocks sitting out on top. If you study it, it's actually, and he mentions it, he's talking about shallow earth. In other words, there's a layer of stone right beneath that shallow layer of earth. And here's the word it, it, built into it, all the ability to save and to heal and to deliver and to prosper and do everything that God promised in his word he would do. But when this word got planted on shallow earth, Jesus said, well, let's read it. He said in verse 20, he who received the seed on stony places is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now that's a good thing, isn't it? To receive the word with joy. I like that. I like preaching to people who will receive the word with joy. Come on, preacher. Yes, amen. Uh Uh-huh. Glory to God. I like that. Hey, it's better than preaching to dead people. I will tell you that. But for all your shouting and all your hooping and your hollering in here, do you take it with you? Because he said, there will be those who receive it with joy. Yet, verse 21, he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. Mark says, arises for the word's sake. That's what the persecution's about. That's what the tribulation and the pressure is all about to disconnect you from the word that is your way out, the word that is your life, the word that is your salvation and your peace and your healing. The tribulation, the persecution is all about trying to separate you from that. And if there's no root in you, when the persecution comes, it's gonna be like the sun coming up and the heat on that earth is gonna scorch that seed and it won't produce anything. So if you want this word to do what this word is capable of doing, there's going to have to be some roots that go down deep. And according to the book of Ephesians, you and I are to be rooted and grounded in love. That's grounded in God himself. And if you start with this right here, this is my root. This is my ground. God is love. Then no matter what kind of persecution comes, it doesn't matter why he loves me. Persecution is just people not loving you. It's just people hating you. It's people pressuring you. But if you're rooted in this, he loves me. My God loves me. And if he loves me, if he's for me, who can be against me? My mom told me this as a teenager. She said, Jeremy, never let anything that somebody does to you be bigger than what Jesus has done for you and you get rooted and grounded in the love of God, then then let the wind blow, let the rain fall, let the storm come, and you've got some roots, man. You've got some roots that go down deep. You are rooted in how much you are loved, and faith works by love. You want your faith to work? Get rooted in how much he loves you. You want the word to work? Get rooted in how much he loves you. This is why people without great education and without years and years and years of uh, scripture study, they can see awesome results from God. They just find out one day, God loves me. Man, I thought he was mad at me. I I thought he was just about an inch away from smiting me, whatever smiting is. And they find out he's not mad at me. He loves me. And these roots begin to go down deep. And these people, much to the frustration of people who've been, you know, born again for all these decades, they see all these awesome results in their lives. And this guy who just got born again last week, all of a sudden he's healed and all of a sudden he's prospering and all of a sudden it's like, Lord, all this stuff that I've been wanting for years, what happened? Where's mine? Where's your root? What are you rooted in? Huh? If there's no root then the sun's going to scorch it and you can sit up here and shout amen all you want to, but are you shouting Monday morning? Are you shouting through the week? Because the more you believe this and the more you meditate on this, the deeper these roots go. Finally, Jesus talked about this other kind of ground. In verse 22, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. Notice every one of these people heard the word. And you could say they heard the same word. Every one of these people. He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the same word that the stony ground guy heard, that the wayside ground heard. But this guy, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. He talked about these thorns that choke the word. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. These things will choke the word of God. I called a a friend of mine one time who'd been in uh, landscaping business for a long time. I was studying some of this. I said, Tom, talk to me about thorns. What are thorns? Where do they come from? He said, Jeremy, it's so funny you called. He said, I'm walking a piece of property right now. He's in commercial real estate and farmland real estate. He's like, man, I've got thorns all around me. And he said, The earth just makes them. You don't plant these things. Nobody says, ooh, you know what's good, what look good over here? Some nice thorns. The earth produces these things on their own. They're part of the natural world. You go into the scriptures and you find the first place thorns ever showed up. You have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Just after man had sinned, And he fell and God came and he talked to him about it. You know, the whole thing. And Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. And God began to unfold to them. Here's what's coming. Here's what happens next. And God told Adam, because you heeded the voice of your wife and not my word, then if you want to eat bread, it will be by the sweat of your brow and through thorns and thistles, You'll have to toil. The thorns will cause you to toil, he said. Don't you know Adam just looked back at God and said, what's sweat? Never sweat for a thing in his life. It had all been grace. It had all been a gift. Never sweat for a thing. And God said, you're going to have to sweat for it. Because of the thorns, you're going to have to work for it. Now think about that in, what, in relation to what Jesus is saying. The thorns, when the seed of the word gets sown among thorns, and what were those thorns? The cares of this world. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Can you hear where the emphasis is in that? What am I going to do? The deceitfulness of riches, if I just had some more money, if I just had some more, if I just made some more, how can I get some more? How can I make some more? Can you hear where all the pressure is? The word of God and the grace that is in it will not share ground with you working for it, will not share ground with you earning, trying to earn the blessing of the Lord that only comes to the seed of his word. He will not share it. You will not come to the end of it and, and, and you will not hear God say, look what you and I together produced. But like we've talked about before, there is this thing on the inside of the, the unborn again flesh that wants to say, look what I did. Look what I made. And we, we amass all our stuff and we... we earn everything and we work decades and then we hold it all up and, and it's beautiful and we, we shape it and we form it and we wear it like it's our crown. Look, look at the kingdom I've made. Look at what I've built. Not realizing it's nothing but a crown of thorns. And if I remember correctly, there was one who took that crown for you. And he wants to make this exchange. Give me the crown of thorns and I'll crown you with loving kindness and tender mercy. Like Sarah's been ministering to us, I'll crown your year with goodness. But you can't wear two crowns at one time. It's either going to be the thorns of what you have done or that uh, that crown of grace and loving kindness and mercy of all that he has done but you want the word to work like he said it would and like all the life that he put in it, then you gotta go back and look at the ground that it's getting sown in. And the good news is Jesus said, there is good ground. You can be good ground. The kind of ground where the seed of the word gets sown and it produces some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear it. Amen. Amen. How do you hear the word? Do you recognize what it is and where it's coming from and the value that's in it? Do you rejoice over it, not just today, but when the persecution starts, when the tribulation starts, do you still rejoice in the word? Do you still let those roots run deep and say, my God loves me? How do I know? The Bible tells me so. The word of God. And good ground is ground that has no thorns in it. Good ground is ground that, that works, but it recognizes I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I. The grace labors in me. The grace works through me. So when you go to work, when you clock in at that job, You're working, but you recognize this is grace working through me. This is grace laboring in me. And whatever I have, I have because he's added it to me. Look what the word has produced. The word produced my healing. The words produced my salvation. The words produced my abundance in every area of my life. The words produced my peace and my joy and everything I had need of and desired was in the word. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you, and remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.